Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. For the last several weeks, we have been looking at what Jesus himself said about following him, what it means to follow him. That's what we're all about here at Church of the Valley. We, we want to learn how to follow better, and we want to help people who are checking out what it means to be a Christ follower. Uh, we want to help you as you investigate what that means. And so we've been digging into uh, the book of Mark, which is one of the four accounts of Jesus' life that you find in uh, the Bible. <clears throat> Mark wasn't an eyewitness, but he faithfully recorded Peter's eyewitness testimony, so it's very reliable. And you get into this, and we've been looking at when Jesus said something directly about following him, what it means to, to do that, we've been looking at those words and going through what Mark said about that, what Mark wrote that Peter said about it, <laughs> really is what happened. Um, Jesus was a master communicator and, and teacher. When he taught, his goal wasn't just to relay information. That, that wasn't really what he was trying to do. What, what he was trying to accomplish is he was trying to help those who, who heard him teach, and then therefore us who read his words, discover how life is lived to the full. So he's trying to help us figure out how God put life together and how we can choose to think and act in ways that bring his blessing on us. That's, that's a big part of what he was trying to do. He was at the core trying to connect us to God, who is really the source of life. But uh, as he taught, his goal was to help us to see how to shift our thinking how to get on his path, how to get off our own path to significance or whatever it is, and how to get on the path that God has laid out for us. He, he wanted his hearers to understand how to live life to the full, how to get the most of it, out of it. And so his goal was more than just communicating information. Uh, many times Jesus would use a situation. Something would happen with when he was you know going around and serving people helping people with his disciples something would happen and he would use the circumstance of the situation to teach a lesson and he would use object lessons he would use whatever was available he told, told a lot of stories he, he was in fact when he taught people many times walked away they were astonished that's the word astonished at what he said because he spoke like no one else they'd ever heard his teaching was very, very powerful, and it would be very clear as to how to follow him. He, he, made it, he put it on the bottom shelf. That's where I need it. I need it on the bottom shelf. I need to be able to understand, and that's right where he put it, right there, so we could understand. So uh, that's what we're doing today as well. We're looking into another situation that came up among his disciples, actually a discussion that turned into an argument and we're going to dig into that situation and find out the lesson that Jesus used it to communicate. Mark 9, 33 says, And they came to Capernaum. This is actually Peter's hometown. They used to stay at his, his mother, mother-in-law's house in Capernaum. And when he was in the house, uh, he asked them, Jesus said, What were you discussing on the way? 
but they kept silent. Now, this is one of those moments where maybe you're in the back of the class and you're having a discussion with somebody else, and the teacher stops and says, would you, would you like to share what you're talking about with the rest of the group? You go, oh, <laughs> no, no, they, no, I wouldn't, really, honest. That's exactly what happened here. He heard them talking about some stuff on the way to Capernaum, and he says, hey, what, what were you guys talking about? They're like, whoa. On the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. <laughs> this argument broke out. Now, when I was younger, I used to read a situation like that. I would, I would take a mental jab at the disciples, I think. How immature could you be to argue about who was going to be the greatest? The older I get, the more I see myself in them and a bunch of other folks in the Bible who are very real to us. But the disciples, in their defense, they were still thinking that Jesus, Jesus said, I've come to bring in the kingdom of God. I've showed up to hear Israelites Jewish folks for centuries had been waiting for the kingdom of God to come in. And they thought it was going to be an earthly kingdom. They thought that what was going to happen is the the promised king, the promised Messiah, whom Jesus was, the disciples had figured this out, they thought he was going to come in, overthrow Rome, and set up the nation of Israel to be a world power. That's what they were waiting to do. So the disciples, like maybe you and I would do, hey, we're close to Jesus. We're the closest 12 guys around, you know. We're, we're his buds, you know. So they're starting to think, hey, 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 when the kingdom comes in, he's going to need a cabinet. You know, he's got to have the vice president. He's got to have the secretary of state, the chief of staff. So they're starting to dream about which position in the kingdom they might get, and an argument breaks out. They, they start, you know, this is, this, is, this is what we humans do. You put us in a group situation in an arena or a circle of some kind of people, and we start sizing up where we fit, where we rank, in comparison to the other people around us. So we start trying to figure out, how, how significant am I compared to them? This, this native reflex has damaging effects on our relationships at home, at work, in church life, in our friendships. If it goes unchecked, it really causes some problems, like the argument that broke out among the disciples. If we just let it go, what happens is we begin to strategize on how we're going to prove that we're the greatest, that, that we're better than the other people in the group. There's something in us that's there that sort of grows up and wants to be the most significant person in the group. And so when we start sizing things up like that, we start using words and take actions to make ourselves great. I I remember several years ago, I sat on a board for the first time. Now, the way I'm wired, I never wanted to sit on any board. Never wanted to sit around a room, talk to guys about how to do things. I'd really actually prefer to do this stuff. But anyway, I'm on this board, and the other guys on the board, they're people I respect. 
And I, I learned something about being on a board, because I, I mean, you know, you, you, you're in charge of directing this group of people in a certain direction, and whenever I started thinking, how can I say something that makes me look good, I'd take us way sideways. You know, I'm in the, in the room, and we're talking about stuff, and we're dealing with issues, how are we going to do this, how are we going to do that, and sometimes if I would think, oh, Randy, that's a really good idea, I think you ought to say, they're going to really think that's, <laughs> they're going to think, I'm sure glad Randy's here. You know, because what would we do without Randy, you know? And so I would say it, and sometimes half-cocked, it would make me look stupid or arrogant or, you know, something. It, anyway, if I didn't have the goal as to try to help that group move forward in the best way possible, but the goal was about me, sideways, egg on face, how am I going to explain what just came out of my mouth? Every time. This is what happens when we get in a circle of people. We want to be great. We want to be important. You know, it's the same with basketball teams. Okay, I know this is going to hurt. But how can you pay that much for a team? And they don't win more games than they lose. How do you do that? That happens all the time. How is that? This Jesus answers that question today. In what we're looking at today, he gives us the answer. How can that happen? It applies in every circle we find ourselves in. If we'll adopt Jesus' definition of greatness, we can make dramatic improvements in our relationship with our family, co-workers, teammates, in church life and ministry, in conversations with our friends. It, it will really improve our relationships, if we can understand that it's damaging to choose the wrong goal in them, to, to let our native desire to be significant, the greatest, take over. Because in reality, all of us hunger for significance. That, that's, a, that's a normal human drive. We want to be important. It's very, very normal to want to be important and to hunger for significance and have a desire to be respected by other people, to be appreciated for the role we play in their lives, uh, to make an important contribution in the world. We want that. We have a hunger for it. And when I get hungry, I don't know about you, I start looking for food. And my family knows, okay, he needs to find food pretty quick because he gets cranky when he doesn't find food. But I, I know where to find it. I go to the pantry. I go to the fridge. I go to In-N-Out. I don't know. I go, if it's not there, I go to In-N-Out, you know, so on. I know where to find food. I, I don't go to the closet in the bedroom. I, I don't go into my office at home. I, I don't go to the auto mechanic if I'm looking for food. I just, I know where to find it. When we hunger for significance, what happens is we start looking for it and we strategize how we're going to get it. What we think, we say and do, what we think is going to give us significance. Now, it's important to know where to find it. It's crucial to understand where to go to find significance. Because if we look in the wrong place, we're going to be frustrated or much worse. Arguments are going to keep breaking out. 
in our, in our friendships, in our family relationships. In this passage we're looking at today, Jesus tells us how to be truly significant. So that's what we're digging into. He, he shows us the path to greatness in his kingdom. And he shows us how to live a significant life in the circles we live in. To get on his path, we have to jump tracks. We have to jump off our normal path to significance. And he makes it clear that the followers of himself, that his followers change their definition of greatness and significance and learn to follow the trail he blazed to a truly significant life. The good news is we can all be significant. We all are significant in the kingdom. We have a role to play. We find ourselves in different circles, family, work, church, friendship circles, whatever. And if you're a Christ follower, the perspective you find that he has is God put you in that circle for a purpose. He has a a will and a purpose for you in that arena that you find yourself in. And we find significance in living for him. If you decide to follow him, he will lead you to a truly significant life. For instance, I don't just exist in my family. I have a significant role to play in it. It's easy to get frustrated that people aren't giving me the respect that I deserve or that they aren't getting on board with my plan for the day or whatever it is. But in spite of whether or not they align with my goal, I have an important role to play. At work, not just earning a a paycheck, from God's perspective, he has a will and a purpose for me there. Jesus' path of significance shows me that I can make a difference at work or at school, in the circles I'm in, uh, regardless of what's going on. I have a way to do that. In my friendship circles, I can bless others if I take Jesus' path. I can be a refreshment. I can refresh them rather than maybe unrefresh them, drain them. Because we generate an atmosphere. Wherever we are, we generate an atmosphere. It's either stormy or or uh, overcast, or bright, and sunny, warm, whatever it is. We're, we're generating weather, wherever we find ourselves. Jesus' path shows us how to be significant and generate weather that's a blessing to the people around us. To bring weather with us that others enjoy is what Jesus is going to show us how to do. And it helps us accomplish the goals of the group that lie before us. So here's Jesus' path to greatness in the kingdom. For the most part, it's opposite of our native reflexes. First, take last place. Now, you're not going to hear that in a motivational seminar. Okay, this Jesus has given it to us straight. Take last place. And he sat down. Okay, this, remember the argument just broke out? So he sits down and he talks to his disciples. He called the 12 to him and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Now in a book uh, called Descending into Greatness, Bill Hybels talked about what chickens normally do. If you put chickens, if you put chickens in a coop, you throw some chicken seed in there, what happens is among them, 
there are skirmishes that break out to figure out the pecking order. Okay, so there's a fight for number one. Once number one's established, there's a fight for number two, three, four, five. Human beings can be a, a little like chickens. <laughs> you, you put us in a circle of people, our family, our work, our church, our, our friends, and we try to work out the pecking order, if not literally, at least in our minds. We, we have a tendency to rank others in comparison to ourselves or as either more significant or less, less significant. And if, if we put ourselves at number five, there's something in us that wants to climb to number four, number three, two, one. We want to keep going up. And we have a strategy, we have native strategies that we use uh, to accomplish that. We use our energy, our actions, our words, our mental capacity to prove that we're great. That's what I was doing in the board meetings, you know, using it to, occasionally, I tried to keep it in check, but sometimes, you know, it would come out and I'd look stupid. The normal path is different than Jesus' path. Jesus says that his followers do something besides that. They don't do that. They leave it to God to figure out who is number one. They let him figure that out. They don't worry about that. And they mentally take last place and serve the people in that circle. The normal path, the significance that we have is we try to figure out what's important to the people around us. We compare whether we have more of that or not than the people around us, and we try to get more. We try to show that we are more of whatever it is that impresses the people around us. This is a very vulnerable place to live. Because we're at the mercy of our mental capacity, our mental ability to convince ourselves that we are enough, that we have enough of whatever it is people value to be significant. Jesus says, get off that treadmill. Don't, don't keep walking on that path. Don't keep going that direction. Take last place and serve. Then humbly receive the powerless. The second thing he says. Humbly receive the powerless in the circle. Mark 9. He took a child and he put him in the midst of them. This is one of the object lessons. Children aren't an object, but he uses this to make a child to make a point. Took a child, sat him in the midst of them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. He says something very important that we in our culture don't really get. Because we don't have a problem receiving children in any circle. We, we tend to allow them to interrupt us. We, you know, we're going to wrap our arms around the kids in our circle. But in the Jewish culture, and in the culture of Greece and Rome, of Jesus' day, children were considered the least significant people in any circle. Children were powerless and dependent. Children cannot do anything for you. And so to receive them is an act of selflessness. We serve children, this is what Jesus is saying, people who are really great in my kingdom, 
serve children and people who are powerless because it's good and it's right and it's because I want them to do so. Not because they can do something for us. That's what it means. What you see and what the disciples have been noticing in situation after situation after situation, Jesus would pay attention to chickens 8, 9, and 10. And here he holds number 10 up and says, if you want to represent me, you receive the least. You, you receive the least significant person around. What Jesus is saying is, if you're a follower of mine, where, wherever you are, you are my representative. That's what he's saying when he says, whoever receives a child receives me. You, you represent me. And if you want to do that well, you include everybody in the circle in your life. Jesus was ultra-inclusive. You pay attention to everyone, whether or not they're significant in the situation or not. Jesus was anything but standoffish. I mean, the moral scum of his day loved him. He, he hung out with the party crowd. He got criticized over and over and over again. With Jesus, it doesn't matter. It didn't matter then. It doesn't matter today where he finds you. It matters how you respond to him. doesn't matter where he found you, finds you. It, it matters what are you going to do once you find out about him, once you figure out what it means to follow him. How are you going to decide after that? In fact, he made it clear that he came to the earth to find the people who were lost to God, who were running away from God, who were far from him. Those are the people that he came to find. Now, we human beings, we can be choosy about who we associate with. Check out the phrase, Jesus says that the greatest in his kingdom receives a child in his name. The idea behind that word receive is to accept, to welcome the least significant people in your life, no matter how low they rank in your circle and whether or not they can help you. This is what Jesus is saying. If you want to be significant, if you want to live a significant life, learn to include all kinds of people and serve them. Show kindness to them. Not just those you consider your kind of people, whatever the definition you give that. You know, I, sometimes we, we want to click with people. And so we put a distance between ourselves and other people because they don't fit can be a de defense mechanism. But the way it works, Jesus' way is so opposite of our way. It, it's so upside down that we need to do life in a group of people who are trying to do it Jesus' way, so we're encouraged to do it Jesus' way, not our native way, because we keep falling back. I mean, there's this strong pull back into our way, and we need a group of people around to encourage us to follow the path. If you don't, put yourself out there to connect with people because you don't think they click. You're, you're in real danger. You're in danger of not getting everything you can out of life. That's what the life groups are about. We connect. We want to encourage each other. We want to talk about what we 
are talking about on Sunday mornings because that's what it takes to really grow. We've got to be doing life with other people. In church, I know people who have followed Christ for years, and they've missed Jesus' point here because they come around church and they never connect to other people at a heart level because they just don't want to include other people in their life. Jesus is saying we need to receive. We need, we need to uh, let people into our circle, not keep them out of our circle. And, you know, there's trust and there's things that need to be developed, but that's the path to finding what Jesus' life is all about, what it means to follow him. The way to connect uh, is what Jesus has been say, saying. If, if you're in a circumstance right now, you're having a hard time connect with people, Take last place in your mind, serve, and accept people for who they are. You'll connect. If you'll just keep after that, it's going to take some some effort, and you're going to need God's help to do that. God, would you help me? I keep taking first place. I keep wanting first place. I keep wanting I'm number five, and I want number four. God, would you help me shift to take last place to serve and to receive everybody in the group. That's how you connect. The greatest in the kingdom do that. And then they use their power to serve. This, this argument that went on that I was talking about, it, it, it cropped up a few times in Jesus' conversations with his disciples. And we read out of Mark 10, in Mar- I mean Mark 9, in Mark 10, the same argument breaks out because James and John asked Jesus if they could have the top spots. Could I be at the right and the left in the kingdom? And everybody else, they, they got ticked. The other 10, they got ticked because they did this. So they're in another argument. And this time, Jesus called them to him, it says in Mark 10, and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Said it again. By the way, if you missed it last time, here it is again. But here Jesus tries to tell them the difference between the kingdom and the normal path in terms of authority, how you use your authority. Jesus wants to change the way we think about power and influence. The normal thing is to gain power and influence. We want it so we can enjoy all the perks of the position of the power. As a leader with all the power, my preferences, my comfort, my convenience are most important, and everybody in that circle should make life easier on me. That's what it's all about. In the kingdom... Authority is given to people so they can use it for the benefit of the people under them. So that they can serve. It's, it's flipped. You're a, if you have leadership in the kingdom, you are a leader servant. Emphasis on servant. You use your leadership to serve. In family life, if I'm a husband and a parent, I have authority. If I think greatness means that my family serves me, they do what I want them to do, if I could pull that off, I could think that, I could try to pull that off, I'm 
the father after all. I'm, I'm probably the strongest and most forceful. If I, if I think I have authority so it makes life good for me, I start bullying my family. Totally wrong, according to Jesus. We use authority, we use our place in the family to serve. We, we take the role of a servant, we take last place, and we serve. I only press to do the things I know are going to benefit the family, not the things that are going to benefit me. I only lead strongly to do what's going to right before God and what's going to bless the family. Very different approach to authority than we normally think, that we normally have. Same at work. It's the same in church life, same in ministry. If I find myself in a position of authority, I use it for the good of those under me if I'm going to live Jesus' way. I'm a leader servant. I serve. That's what I do. I see myself as a servant in every situation, every circumstance I find myself in. I'm either a Servant who leads or a servant who follows. That's what we are. That's, what, that's Jesus' way. I sacrifice my preferences, my personal conveniences to do God's will as a benefit to those I serve. Finally, the greatest in the kingdom follow the leader. Mark ten forty five. For even the Son of Man, this is his explanation. For even the Son of Man, even me, myself, I came not to be served, but to serve, and to give my life as a ransom for many. In one of the other four accounts of Jesus' life, in John, who was also a disciple and an eyewitness to his life, Jesus shows what he means in this statement and in what he's been teaching us, taking last place, serving, using our authority to, to bless, our power to bless people. Uh, they arrived, the, Jesus and the disciples arrived at the house where they were going to take the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, and it was common for a servant in the house to wash the feet of those uh, who'd been walking all day in sandals. So they'd, they'd arrive at the house, and there's right first thing they did, they'd, the servant, whoever the servant was in the house, would uh, wash their feet. And... This took place on the night of the Last Supper. They all got to the house. There was no servant in the house. Nobody, none of the other disciples did it. So Jesus washed the feet of the disciples himself. He put the towel around his waist, and he washed the disciples' feet. And I went to a, a Brethren Christian High School. It's a denomination that some, some churches, in their Lord's Supper service, they have a feet washing. And I, once I found out about that, I was very grateful we didn't, personally. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just a memory. I thought, boy, I'm glad we don't wash feet. Um, but anyway, it's, it's a very important thing to understand what Jesus did here. What, what Jesus did in this situation was he took last place and he served to meet a practical need. Dirty, grungy, sandal feet. He washed those. He took the lowest position in the group, even though he is God himself. 
He has all the power, all the authority, and he took last place and served. In a very normal circumstance, he did an extraordinary thing. And he showed us what you do with power and authority and what he means by taking last place and serving. And then he said in John 13, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the way to a truly significant life. This is how you find significance. This is the greatest life you can have. If you get this, if I get this, and I understand what Jesus is saying about greatness, then you, you jump the normal track. I jump the normal track to significance, and I set myself to serve the people around me. Every day we find ourselves in normal circumstances like this, like the one Jesus found himself in when he washed the feet of the disciples. We can take last place and serve. When we, when we do that, we're the greatest from God's viewpoint. We're, we're the greatest. If you follow Christ, you can stop trying to get significance in the wrong places from the people around you by comparing yourself to them, by competing with them, trying to be number one. You can stop that because the way you find significance in Jesus' way is the only secure way to find it. It's it's there. It's there to have. If you've come to know God in Christ, if you come to him and decided to follow him, and you've experienced his love, you can take Jesus' path to significance because you know that significance isn't earned, it's a gift from God. Not something that you earn, it's a gift from him. And this gift is wrapped up in the good news Jesus came to live out and to preach and that he died for At the heart of what Jesus was trying to tell us when he lived and what he wants us to know now is he he tried to tell us and show us that every person on the face of the earth is significant to God, very important to him. Here's how. The Bible says that every one of us has rebelled. We've rebelled against God. We've tried to live life independent of him. We've gone somewhere else to find our significance other than the God who made us. We've tried to live life apart from him. We've tried to find significance. We've tried to find satisfaction apart from him. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This settles our value once for all. There is no need to sell ourselves to the highest bidder. Jesus paid for us, and this proves how significant we are before God. If you follow Jesus, he wants you to understand how significant you are to him. Take last place and serve those around you. What a difference would it make in your family, at work, at school, in church life, with your friends, if if we all did this, if, if we just went into our circles and set ourselves to serve, to be a blessing, to be kind. 
to do good. If you don't yet follow Christ, then he, he wants uh, you to quit trying to earn your significance and just accept the gift that he's offering. That's, that's what he offers, to turn from going your own way and to live for him. If you begin to live for him, there's new purpose in everything you do, new purpose and significance in everything across the board. As the band comes up, I'd like to ask you to think through uh, your next steps this morning. If you'd take out your connection card uh, and finish completing any information, that'd be great that you haven't had a chance to, or mark down one of these next steps. Here are my suggestions for next steps. First one, take last place and serve in a specific way. As I've been talking, maybe one of the circles you live in came to mind. Family, work, church, friend. And you've been fighting for a high place in your mind. And what you want to do, what God said to you this morning is take last place and serve. Circle that arena, if you would. Maybe for the first time you're ready to decide uh, to accept Jesus as your Savior and follow him as Lord. Let us know. We'd love to help with that. If you'd like to plug into a life group, uh, those are coming up uh, beginning the week after February 17th here at the Diamond Bar campus. So if you'd like to plug into one of those, let us know the number and which night it meets on, and that would be great as well. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word that you've given us. We thank you for the help you give us to, to find out what life's really all about. And I ask God for the power to take the steps you've laid on our heart this morning, that we might bring honor to you by the way we live, and that we might really represent you well in the circles in which we find ourselves. God, we ask for your help in this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.